Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I'm your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Tim, today we're talking about a subject that is near and dear to both you and I's hearts, and it's about how we see the young people that we're leading every day. Um, And it's just a really important, I think, conversation to continue to come back to. We're always coming back to this conversation. It really is true. And and so much of our acting, meaning our leadership, our words, our actions, come out of our paradigm, yes. the, the way we see students. Yep. And I think dating way back to Socrates, the adult generation has always thought, kids today, yep. disrespectful, lazy, they're never going to make it. Yep. And yet we tend to when we're led well. So yeah, we. I think we, this is just a reminder, listeners, of maybe the right way we need to look at students. I love it. Well, the reason this is so near and dear to us is because both you and I were probably one of those kids yep, yep. who uh, adults looked at and went, I don't know what's going to become of that uh, <laughs> yes, young person. Yes. So I don't know if you want to share. First. I want you to start. Well, uh, I one of the things that my parents have told me, I don't have a ton of memories from this, but basically I, I was a lot growing yes, up. Yes. Lots of energy, lots of running around, lots of... And and my parents genuinely worried, I don't know well, how well he's going to do, yeah. I think. Yeah. They, I'm sure they loved me and thought I was smart and all of those things. But I think genuinely they wondered, how well is he going to do? And what happened was, uh, as soon as they sent me off to school for the very first time, um, my mom said that everything kind of settled into place. Huh. So I went to kindergarten and yeah. I come back and I've sort of uh, gotten out some of my mental energy, yes. gotten out some of my <laughs> actual energy. And she said, you were a lot more pleasant to be around after that. So again, things started changing and it ended up being contextual, right? Yes, Andrew yeah. just needs somewhere to put all of this um, energy, which I, I have a lot of outlets for those yes, kinds of things. Do. So, but I think something similar happened to you yeah, as well. Yeah, but I'm just thinking your parents, did they send gifts to the teacher each day? <laughs> they probably for, should for have. Letting you know. vent and get all your Thank energy Thank you, Mrs. Out. Henderson, yeah. for putting up with me. So I was, I think I was a lot in middle school, especially middle school and first two years of high school. I, I wasn't a bad kid, although some of my teachers may disagree <laughs> with that. But um, I was just, I was in, I was in chorus. So that was, a, uh, you know, boys and girls, eighth graders, and we were singing, or at least we were supposed to be singing, but I was distracting and distracted. Cutting up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I faked having to throw up and ran out and Mr. <laughs> Benedict said, get out of here, go, go, go. You know, and that was my way to get out of, out of chorus. But it all turned around for me when I got a key part in the oh, school play. Oh, yeah. Suddenly I had to pay attention. I got to learn these lines. Shut up. I got to I got to sing here. Yeah. So he probably, I don't know, he, maybe I didn't deserve the part. He thought the only way I'm going to make it through the school year is yeah. to give Elmore. This kid you know, needs some responsibility. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, you know, it's so easy for us to, and it's so sad, probably all of us have stories like that of maybe a time when an adult didn't believe in us or they saw us as a trouble more than yeah. uh, you, you know we were worth. And then you get into adulthood and you accidentally do the same thing. Yeah, I know you and I were true. talking about a time you you had when you were uh, first leading where this happened. Yeah. So I had a, uh, was leading a department of college students in San Diego, California. And this was a mentoring group I had where that this particular year, school year, I had allowed in anybody that wanted to come. So it wasn't handpicked leaders. It was anybody that wanted to come just to be mentored. So there was one particular student that was the trouble student. Mm. And I'm not sure now, looking back, if he just needed attention. Yeah. And it was attention-seeking behaviors that we saw all the time, but that's what it felt like. And I would say most of the other students, the peers of his, said, kick him out. 
Yeah. I mean, they weren't rude, but we, we kind of had a quiet, that was the solution, quiet vote. Basically. Let's just get rid of it. He didn't fit here. He's slowing us down. And, and he was. I, there was no doubt in my mind. But I knew there had to be a better way. Um, and I knew it needed to start with us seeing him differently. Yeah. And I wasn't going to help the students at all by just lecturing them to do that. So what I did was I decided to enlist him to help me. Yeah. So this one that was at the bottom of the list of people became my right-hand person to help mm. do this, that, and the other. Yeah. And suddenly it was all good. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but but it, it was like you. Suddenly he's he's channeled in a direction. Yep. He became a most valuable player, an I MVP. Love it. I and love it. We would have never known this had we just made that first uh, solution, which was just kick him out. Yeah. That would have been an explainable solution, but it wouldn't have been the best solution. Yeah. So that yeah. happens so often, um, I think, to all of the leaders out there who just, you know, we're so busy, we got stuff going on in our day, and then we've got that one troublemaker kid or that one kid who's not with the program, and the easiest solution in our minds tends to be, well, let's just remove them from the equation, yeah, right? that's right. But when we change our, our vision of who that kid is, we change our perspective. In fact, we're calling this changing the way we see our students. Yeah, when yeah. we make that adjustment, all of a sudden we see with a different lens and that student becomes a different person. Yeah, that's and exactly it, right. The whole reason you and I are getting nostalgic about all of these experiences is because we came across something that happened very recently, a story that uh, you're going to tell that helped us see a very practical way in these days that mm -hmm. we're living in right now, how yeah. we might be able to apply this changing the way or changing the perspective that we have towards our students and, and what that might look like. Yeah. And create a win-win situation. So we came across a great story, a true story, not too long ago from Northwest School District in Missouri. Okay. Uh, it was written up in a number of places, but um, this school district, like so many others, was facing a shortage of employees. Um, in fact, in almost every industry, they would say, yeah, retail, for restaurant, we're, we got a shortage of employees. It's happening all over the country. Help wanted signs go unanswered yep. and yep. you know, so forth and so on. Well, in this Northwest school district, um, the, the jobs that were needed were custodial, food service, yeah. uh, before and after school programs, uh, and and they just couldn't find the workers. So it wasn't necessarily the teachers. It was all of the support staff around. The, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure teachers were also in need, yeah. substitute teachers maybe. But these were the jobs specifically that were not getting answered. They put ads in the paper, nobody's signing up. And mm -hmm. so they were in a bit of a quandary because they thought, well, we can't force anybody. This is not like, you know, uh, the army. Yeah. You yeah. draft We're people. conscripting you into service. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So the chief human resource officer, the chief HR guy, Mark Catalana, uh, suddenly had an epiphany about the students. Okay. Yeah. So he, he, he just decided maybe some of these jobs that were um, going unresponded to, students might be really good at working with the students, oh. with their peers. Maybe just one age down. Yeah. Um, so he began to make the job openings known among teens in the area, and he quickly got applicants, lots of applicants. It was like he struck oil, you know? Wow. So here there's nobody, maybe one or two, and they're not really employable. And then suddenly he's got this list of teenagers that were actually looking to make some money, yeah. which, which also is a real thing yeah. here in this day. 25 of those students have, had already been, have already been hired right away That's at the amazing. time of this uh, uh, writing. 
Um, and the district is now saying, oh my gosh, we may have just tapped into something that we didn't even know was there. It's gold. Um, they connected their students to the schools that they are part of, to the district that they serve and that they attend school in, and uh, and it's just a win-win-win. Mm. So I, I think the bottom line, Andrew, that I want to start talking about now in light of that story is so many people, the adults we just mentioned in, in, in our intro here, see students as a problem. Yeah. Teenagers are a problem. Yep. We see them as a solution. Yeah. It's just a different... Now, is it going to be easy? Not all the time. Yeah. But but if you see them differently, they tend to respond differently. What you see is what you get, and yep. they tend to respond to the expectations and the vision that we have. Yeah. I mean, this is like probably the most practical example of this, right? When you say, how in the world are we going to feed these students, right? Students are yeah. the problem, yeah. and I've got to figure out a solution to it. Well, what if the answer to how are we going to feed these students is the students themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet, could we apply that to all the... The other issues we face with students, right? How do I talk to students about this uh, depression and stress and anxiety going on? Well, maybe students could help That's you with right. that, right? How do I handle students just not engaging in the classroom? Yeah. Maybe students could help you with that. That's exactly and that's really right. what we want to encourage is that we might start to shift our perspective on this, not in just who we hire, but also how we think about the problems, whatever issues that we're facing in our leadership of the next generation. Absolutely. So you remember this, Andrew, a few years ago at Growing Leaders, we partnered with Harris Interactive to poll uh, over 2,000 adults across our country. And we we asked several questions, but one of the big ones was we were asking adults how they see these teens. Yep. Well, folks, what we're talking about is a thing. Yeah. So we discovered, first of all, that 64%, almost two out of every three of uh, adults, don't believe Generation Z is going to be ready for a career upon graduation. Uh, I think 66%, uh, even higher, was... I just, I just don't think uh, th this world isn't safe. I don't think they're going to be ready. Yep. More uh, negative know. than positive. Yes, more yep. negative. Than, in fact, they described when we asked them for descriptive words, the top words were were very, very negative. Yep. There Concerned, was one positive yeah. in the top five, but the other four yeah. were negative. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how does it feel to be on the other side of that leadership? Yeah. Go back, listeners, to your teenage years. Step into your Converse gym shoes. <laughs> it doesn't feel very good if you, even if they don't say it. If the adults leading you go, their face scream, you're not going to be ready. Yeah. You're not going to mount it. You're not going to be able to do this. It gets through. It does. That nonverbal and paraverbal communication does get through. So Northwest School District asked, what if the after-school programs for children up to the fifth grade could be staffed by juniors and seniors in high school? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And they were, and it seemed to, to work. What if the food service jobs could be filled by older teens who need the income and the work experience, yeah. and they can serve the food? Anybody can do that once, once you're trained a bit, uh, and you have gloves on, of course. <laughs> but uh, what if the custodial job openings could be done by students? Of course they can. None of that is like heavy, skilled labor that yeah. a 16 or 17-year-old uh, young person could just need do. somebody who's willing and attentive to detail and all those kinds of That's things. That's right. Absolutely. So um, I believe when adolescents have nothing meaningful to do, I think your life and my life may be proof that's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, what was the phrase? Idle hands or the devil's workshop? <laughs> yes, yes, that that yes. was certainly true in my, in my yeah. case. But I'm telling you what, when I was enlisted in high school by Sean Mitchell, who mentored me and helped me, uh, or, or I helped him actually lead this outreach in San Diego... It completely channeled my energy. 
um, I, I, I was a different person, my mom and dad said. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, just, I'm just elated that this case study is ours now, and maybe we can take some time and say, how do we apply what we're learning from them? I love that. It, it's such interesting because it feels like such a contrast. Um, so many of us, if we're thinking about Generation Z, either they're a problem or we feel this overwhelming desire to meet every one of their needs, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, to step in and go, oh, they're bored. I need to help them with yes. entertainment. Oh, they're uh, they're anxious. I need to help them with, you know, and we kind of fill that gap. And it's so yeah. interesting that this solution is actually almost uh, seeing it from a different way. what It's almost empowering them to help themselves or at least help one another. It is. And let me tell you what I like about it. It's real world. Yeah. Well, we have a phrase, you know, building leaders for real life. Andrew, I think far too often we in the adult population, parents, teachers, coaches, have given students facsimiles of the real world, mm -hmm. but not the real world. Yep. So they're busy with papers and exams and tests. And I'm not saying these are evil. I'm just saying they're, they're facsimiles. Yeah. These jobs are, I mean, the students can see I'm making a difference in that seven-year-old's life. Yep. Or I'm making a difference in They're how eating clean. lunch today. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. They're eating lunch today in yeah. the dining hall. So um, I, again, please hear me. These facsimiles are part of the academic journey of a student, papers and exams and projects and so forth. But the moment you ask them to do a real job and to do real work that matters to other people, suddenly it's a game changer. Mm. In fact, let me just take a minute and say the Northwest School District won in many ways when they hired these students. Let All me just at once, list. yeah. Yeah. Number one, they filled a labor shortage, which we've been talking about, that the district was suffering from. Number two, they provided income to students who needed it. It's huge. Number three, they furnished real-world work experience, which I just mentioned, yeah. to the students. Four, they offered alternative jobs to those who required late shifts or who were far away. Oh, so yeah. they were, okay, it's going to take you a little while to get there. Okay, here's, here's a job for you. So they, they place students in the right place. And then finally, number five, they allowed teachers to make the jobs a part of the student's educational experience. Mm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So they had academic credit for doing real world work. And you and I both know, you get a job, you learn. Yes. You learn a lot, yes. to maybe more than in a classroom. It, it reminds me of the data we looked into when we wrote the Generation Z Unfiltered book to basically find that a, a lot of the, um, quote unquote, uh, major adulting categories, mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah. Uh, the time of your first job, uh, yeah. the age of getting married, the age of having your first child, some of those things, all those things were being pushed back. Yeah. One of the most shocking ones was actually the, the time of your first job. Yeah. Uh, basically, there's a, a huge amount of students. There's a huge shift that has gone from uh, not having any work experience until I'm out of college yeah. and into my first role. And this, I mean, on top of everything that it's doing, the practical work experience that it's giving these students is just huge because it's really, frankly, unusual. To yeah, them. it is. You're right. There was one survey nationwide in America here in the U.S. that said Gen Z actually wants to start working earlier. Yeah. So it may be us going, no, 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 just yeah. get your grades up. Mm -hmm. And again, grades are important for sure. But ultimately, grades need to lead to a job one day. That's the point and, anyways. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's not just to post a, a degree on our wall or yeah. a diploma on our wall. So um, I, I believe this is me, that millennials and Gen Z are wide open to work right now. In fact, they've been known to take on several side hustles. Both yep. my kids have side hustles going yep. on. 
from online jobs to DoorDash to Uber Eats. Some of them are pandemic-proof jobs. That's yeah. what they want. Mm -hmm. um, we have a friend, Lenita Fix, yeah. who we've had She's uh, great. brainstorming times with. She sent me two articles that introduced me to the term overemployed. <laughs> yeah, interesting? we don't hear that too often. More and more people are working several jobs, up to six, she found. Wow. I can only imagine yeah. if I was working six jobs. I, I might lose several other parts of my life if I did, but... Um, <laughs> But it's troublesome to learn why they feel they can manage so many gigs. People say they're doing this because none of the jobs expect much. Oh, interesting. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. Let's call them up, yep. say this is a real job, and I need you to give your very, very best to it. So that's where we, that's where we land. Yeah, that's huge. And I, you're exactly right. I do think there's there seems to be a hunger, at least in the Generation Z students we're meeting, to want to not have to wait until I'm done with, you know, X, Y, and Z to be able to interact and yeah. actually make a difference or create something or solve a problem or meet a need. I think these kids want to be very practical. They want to jump right in. Yeah. Um, I, I, agree. I was just talking with a young person who's even questioning, like, do I even want to go to college? Because I yeah. really want to start making a difference right now. Yeah. Why do I have to wait? And I think that question is there in Generation Z asking that question. Why do I have to wait exactly? Yeah. What, 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 what am I actually waiting for yeah. when I can make the impact now? So listeners, no doubt this pandemic has been challenging. Uh, we're all trying to manage it. Uh, but the answer is not to lower what we expect of, uh, of people as they lay the track for their careers. These are young adults, uh, and we are teaching future adults. Um, and, and so many I talk to just feel like a number. So uh, I think there's a new message we need to send. And that's, yeah. this is the shift, listeners, we're trying to talk to you about. As you consider the young people under your care, I want to encourage you to evaluate your words and actions. Do they accidentally send wrong messages? Yeah. Let me suggest a course correction if needed. One, I believe in you. And because I do, I maintain high expectations for your performance. That's great. Yep. Number two, you matter to me. And because you do, I will give you meaningful work to do. I like to use the phrase, I'm not going to make you the sheriff of the paper clips. Okay. So, so <laughs> this is meaningful work. Number three. I know you're capable of handling high stakes work, so I'll hold you accountable for it. Yeah. And four, I know you have talent, so I will offer real jobs, not just artificial busy work. Mm. Even with our interns, we're trying to give stuff yeah. that matters. Yeah. How do we and give you I, a real project? Yeah. They love it. Yeah. They do. They so, do. Anyway, Mark Catalana, this HR guy I talked about earlier uh, from Northwest, underscored how the Northwest School District jobs can be a part of the students' developmental life skills. Hello, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> he said this, and I quote, our priority will always be their education, and we are committed to providing a flexible schedule so they can continue to focus on their academics and still be involved in school-related activities. This kind of work, however, is all part of that education. Completely agree. I applaud them. Completely agree. Yeah. This ultimately comes down, and I want you to share this uh, big idea because I think it comes down to, again, the way we see uh, the kids that we're leading and also comes down to what we expect of the kids that we're leading. And in particular, I think what we're asking them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So here's um, a hypothesis that I believe I proved true in my doctoral work. It's probably not, I'm probably, I'm sure I'm not the first guy that's ever written about this, but I want to say it right here and now. The primary way that an adolescent learns is not through listening to more lectures, lessons, and sermons. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. And we'll always listen, hopefully the rest of our life and learn. But the shift has taken place from tweener to middle school to teenage person, 
the primary way they learn is through doing. Yeah. So here's a good example. There's a large church near our home. They have no Sunday school programming on Sunday morning at that church for the high school kids. Huh. Almost whatever the church would say, oh yeah, we got a little lesson for those 15-year-olds. They put them to work. Yeah. So what they're doing on Sunday, they want them to come. In fact, they need them to come. You're going to be working with uh, the infants with adult care. We're, yeah. We're not, we're, you know, they're not we're alone doing, in there. That's but, right. Yeah. But you're going to be working with the elementary school kids, the middle school kids, if you're high school, and uh, middle school kids work with elementary kids. It's such an amazing thing. And they have said it's still the learning and developmental process. Yep. But we just recognize the primary way they learn is doing, yeah. not through more talks Absolutely. that we want to give. And yet we love to give talks. I love to give talks. <laughs> We're we're both guilty of that, yes, I, yes, think, we are. I think we are. Yeah. Um, well, this is great. I think it's so practical. It's exactly the mindset I think we need to be entering into um, as we're leading our kids. Just, Tim, I want to invite you to close us out because years ago, we both heard about a story and you've told it a couple times, yeah. I'm sure. But um, it's such a powerful example of what happens, maybe even surprisingly so, yeah. when uh, we actually give our students a chance to step in and, and try something out. Yeah. So I was visiting the Allen Independent School District in Texas, uh, close to Dallas, and uh, had a great time with their faculty. But they told me how they were shifting the way they ran their high school. And it was very much a vocational emphasis. Mm. So many people listening that are in education realize, I totally get that. We're, we're doing the same thing. But this story just stunned me. It just caught my attention. They said there was one particular student who had moved in from a traditional high school, and they, they moved him. His parents moved him because he was not engaged in school. Mm. He was not an academic, or at least he didn't seem to be. They knew he had a good high, high IQ, but it just school didn't do it for him. So they said, well, in this school in Allen, you're going to work harder because you're going to actually choose a, an industry or an area yeah. of vocation to begin to study. And you'll actually do things. Okay. Well, he said, that sounds good to me. So he picked culinary arts. Oh, cool. So this was a male that wanted to become a cook or, yeah. or wanted to work at least with food. Yeah. So uh, this had just happened. Uh, there was a large district-wide banquet where hundreds and hundreds of uh, couples and families had attended. Okay. okay. In fact, it might have even been a donor event, but okay. the students were the ones that put on the event. I love it. They prepared the food, they set the tables, put the tablecloths on, and then of course afterwards they did all the cleanup. Yep. Well, this student was a part of the whole deal okay. from soup to nuts, literally. Um, and after it was over, this faculty member I was talking to uh, saw him cleaning up the tables sweat beating up on his brow, probably imagine, dripping, yeah. dripping from his temples. Yeah. So she thought, I better check on him and make sure he's, he's okay. All right. He may be revolting soon, you yeah. know? But she went over and said, are you doing okay? I get emotional telling the story. He looked up and said to his teacher, this is the best day of my life. Wow. And all I'm thinking is he just connected to something he loved. Yeah. And yeah, it was work. That was the point. Yeah. It was work. And you, I'm going to grow more through working than I, by listening to another talk you have to give me. So listeners, I guess that's how we wrap up. What could we have them do? Yeah. Uh, like the Northwest School District in Missouri yeah. that, that just wins on all kinds of levels because they may not need a lecture. They may need a lesson that comes from life. It's such a great message. Thank you, Tim. 
Well, when Tim and I sat down and we worked on our book on Generation Z, we called it Generation Z Unfiltered. This was exactly the mindset we were sitting in. How do we help them overcome the challenges that they're facing by handing over more to them, helping them uh, understand better about the challenges they're facing and begin to take ownership over their education and their career and their life. So if you want to dig in deeper to this conversation that we're having today about seeing our students differently, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of this book. It's called Generation Z unfiltered. It's all about the nine challenges we think Generation Z is facing in the 21st century and how to help them uh, kind of take the keys and begin to take on those challenges themselves. If you want to pick up a copy of that, you can head on over to growingleaders.com slash store and you can get that book there. Or of course, you can find it on Amazon. As always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, that helps get the word out about what we're doing here. And then if you found this podcast helpful, maybe you're thinking of somebody who might also uh, find it helpful, go ahead and pass it along to them. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, maybe people you think we should interview or subjects you think we should cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those from you. Tim, thank you so much for helping us learn to see our students differently. Thank you guys for leading the next generation well, and we'll see you next time. Woo!